1: This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have uh, Elizabeth Parrish. She's the CEO of a company called BioViva, and they're committed to uh, extending healthy lifespans using cell technologies. So, uh, Elizabeth, thanks for coming. How are you doing today?
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. It's, it's nice that we're having this conversation.
1: I hope just by talking to you that uh, this will uh, extend and improve my lifespan, even just a little bit. But
2: we'll see. <laughs> I, I think it will because I think you're you're going to get really excited about the future so there's two things that we can do there's one thing and that we're working on and that's genetically modifying humans and that's our company's goal uh, modifying them to be healthier maybe stronger faster smarter uh, so it, it's pretty exciting but okay. so the other thing in the the medicine world is the placebo effect and so I'm, I'm hoping that the placebo effect of just sheer excitement about this technology uh, hits you first <laughs> and therefore extends your your lifespan uh, some amount of time, and then we can use the the really strong technology to do the rest.
1: It was interesting. Um, there's a famous entrepreneurial coach. His name is Dan Sullivan, and he asked entrepreneurs, you know, "How long do you think you're going to live?" And you know, a lot mm-hmm. of them will say 80, 85. So he'll say, "Okay, you know, 85. What, what's it going to be like for you when you're 84?" And he said most of the people will say, "You know, oh, I'll be." You know, I'll have grandchildren, I'll, be, I'll still be working, or I'll be doing this, I'll be busy, you know. So he says, well, if that's what's going to happen when you're 84 and you're going to pass in 85, why within that one year would things all of a sudden fall apart? And things? And people say to him, yeah. I don't know, maybe they wouldn't. So then he asks yeah. him later on, after they go through the exercise, well, maybe you'll live longer. So, he, he, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I think maybe I'll live to 100. So he tells him, congratulations, I just gave you 15 more years by thinking. That, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. I, I think that one of the, the missteps that we make, and it's probably because of, you know, the myths we live by. And, and I, I talk a lot when I talk publicly about breaking down myths, uh, that we live by because they really hinder our chances of success. So saying things like, uh, aging, dying of aging is natural. And, uh, that's just how things happen. Well, well, actually that's, that's, A multitude of myths. Number one, most people didn't die of aging before antibiotics and immunization. And, you know, dying of aging is as natural as dying of cancer and heart disease and all sorts of things that we want to cure. And so those are the things that we're actually looking at. Another misstep that people make is thinking that at some point in time they will be excited about dying somehow. And you're right. So if somebody said, oh, I only want to live to my 101st birthday, well, how are they going to feel the day before that? Unless they're in excruciating amount of pain in which people do tend to start letting go or cognitive decline when they're not thinking clearly anymore, or we know another state is massive depression, uh, people generally want to live. That it's in every species on the planet is self-preservation. And so to think that we... (laughs) Somehow are are better than that, and that we wouldn't would still want to be alive and have our most valuable and, and best asset of uh, being a living being on the planet uh, is is just absurd. And so the first thing to do is to break down those those sort of basic myths. So at some point I will be happy to die. Uh, it's not in line with uh, an organism's survival to to think that way. And so we project it off into the future, and and that's how we. Sort of create this illusion of strength and, and being satisfied with that. What I would rather be satisfied with. So, when, when people say, "Well, I'm going to die of aging someday anyway," and they, that sounds very brave and bold, I, I'd rather see people coming up in, in testing technologies and being able and in, in deciding to take a risk today to make the world a better place tomorrow.
1: Well, you know, we'll We're, get to the technology in just a second. But um, have you spoken to people that are? you know, seventy-five, eighty, you know, plus, And have you asked them how they feel about their life that do they feel like they're about to go or, you know, I, I don't want to ask anyone that age that because I feel like it's, you know, <laughs> extremely rude. And I don't even know if I want to know the answer, but, you know, I have people in my life that are older, I'm sure you do. And and I wonder what are they thinking and feeling at that age? I mean, I'm in my early forties. Hopefully you know, I won't have to worry about it for a while. But I've always wondered that. I don't know if you thought about that.
2: Yeah. So I talk to a lot of people who are aging. Um, I talk to a lot of people who are you know, over the age of 65 and 65 can still be really quite viable if people are active and, and eating well. But for some people, they have detrimental um, health. I've talked to people in their 70s and in their 80s. And what all of them say is that inside, they feel like the same person they were when they were a kid their body is just giving up on them. Their body is deteriorating around them. And it's a really perplexing thing. You know, in the world of men and women, men don't, you know, age well and women don't. Quite honestly, both sexes become invisible to the other sex um, or if they they don't identify with that with the same sex uh, sexually. Um, there's There's a lot of loss and grief and things that help them sort of phase out and maybe come to terms with things, but none of them want to die. I mean, I have been to both religious groups and agnostic groups, and they all think that, um, you know, living would be would be the, the number one uh, thing that they would like to do if they could be healthy and strong and live long. Okay. Well, very good. I appreciate your insights. Well, we also see that in medical diagnosis. I mean, whether people are highly religious or they're not highly religious, people spend all of their money on health care when they've been diagnosed with an end-stage disease. So we know that people put everything into trying to stay alive uh, once pushed up against the wall. What we want people to do is act before they get to that point.
1: Makes sense, yeah. Um, So let's get into the technology a bit. So what have you decided... Is going to be the mechanism by which you're going to help people to uh, to live longer.
2: Well, so from 2011 to 2013, I was volunteering for a, a stem cell nonprofit, and it literally was just to try to help get some amount of education out there so that stem cell use could get uh, funded. So uh, when the Bush administration shut down funding to embryonic stem cells, it appeared that everyone in the world thought that stem cells meant embryonic stem cells. And they thought, and really, you know, that the use of embryonic stem cells has been minute. You know, 99% of the use of stem cells at that point were autologous stem cells, meaning stem cells from your own body. And so the listeners know stem cells have the ability to regenerate uh, certain areas. They start, They send off certain exosomes that Today, we're looking at more than stem cells, these little exosomes, injecting them into systems, creating regeneration. Um, They heal wounds. Uh, They can regenerate organs. Um, They can actually grow organs at Wake Forest with stem cells. The patient's own stem cells uh, reject an organ uh, when you get a transplant. Now, only simple organs, not complex organs. So... um, it was a really exciting field, and I got brought in to uh, help put together an educational platform and uh, teach people what actually was happening in the industry. But during that time, what we found out was all of the, the research looked really great from places like Harvard and Stanford, but there was a big debate about what doctors were doing offshore. Um, there were testimonials, people with kidney chronic kidney disease who had, you know, um been put into better states of their condition and there was a big debate as to whether this was credible work. And so towards the end of that project, um I was trying to mix medical doctors with researchers and and then I'll end up jumping forward to that's exactly what we do now but with gene therapy. So I spent two, a couple of years doing that. Uh, In 2013, my son was diagnosed with type one diabetes and I'd spent two years looking at regenerative medicine, was thrown into the hospital with him. And, you know, I asked them about, you know, what, what did they have in stem cells and biobanking? Mm. And they said, they said, uh, that's experimental medicine. We, we don't do that with kids. And they said, you know, you should consider yourself lucky because your child has a manageable disease. Some kids here are dying. And that was it. That, that changed the course of my life. I quit the stem cells and I went on a, a search for patient advocacy. How do we get access to people? Why do we let people die without accessing technology that in both research and in offshore use, uh, the technology was showing promise, any promise? Um, why would we let people lose their biggest asset? And so when I got into this, I was simply looking for cures for kids. Yeah, it makes total sense.
1: I mean, I've spoken to many people in the, uh, in the cancer realm, and you're right. They would rather people die than try something experimental, even, even if they're about to die. it makes no sense at all. So I'm with you there. I totally understand.
2: Yeah, I I only understand agency and autonomy. And uh, that means, you know, your control over your body. And to me, it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial that you have the ability to make some of these decisions. But most of the public is not educated enough to make these decisions. And so they go on using technology um, that, we already know the outcome. It's selling technology. Everyone is dying on it. It it did bring us so far. Uh, but but now it's time to make a great switch. So when you look at something like advanced cell technologies, you know, more people die every day in the United States taking their prescription drugs as prescribed, having adverse drug effects than have ever died in the uh, regenerative area combined.
1: It's crazy. How many more? I mean ten times more, a hundred times more or
2: Yeah, it it depends on the day. So, you know, we have a a failing drug, a system that's trying to treat symptoms, but it's causing... When you take up the difference between the technology that we're going to talk about today, gene therapy, creating a protein right at the cellular level, a a protein, a human protein that your body benefits from, the difference between that and taking a small molecule that might damage your liver, hurt your kidneys, but have some off-target effect of you know, lowering something in your your blood that may or may not be beneficial to human health, um, it's just the wrong way to do things. And and we have the opportunity now uh, with participation, uh, advocation, and uh, sharing information to actually, you know, speed this up exponentially. So in our lifetime, we we can see the benefits.
1: Okay. So tell me about the uh, the technology that you've been working on. What are some of the uh, specifics of it?
2: Right. So we work specifically in the area of gene therapy. So after doing the uh, work in stem cells, uh, I was, and after seeing my son diagnosed, we we were already looking at genetics at that point. In 2003, the the first whole genome was was analyzed and, you know, the the medical area was really excited about the the changes we could make. And we'd already seen it in our our food. So a lot of people say, you know uh would they don't like gmo food but all food is gmo whether it was was bread a certain way or spliced with other things and and now you know the gmo area is just speeding up that sort of change in food but there is no food that we eat today that looks like it did when we found it and so you know this was this was the what we could do is we could actually look at model organisms we could look at both the plant kingdom we could look at model organisms and research and we could see uh, the the immense potential for modifying genes, which has been looked at since the 1970s for humans and we could see the failures over time. we could see the failures in the 1990s but but today we're not seeing those those types of failures. the process has been streamlined with uh, vectors that don't cause immune reactions and we're, we're more, Things in exacting with the specificity of the genes that we'll be using to actually treat the diseases. So the technology that we're specifically looking at is gene therapy, and our company specifically looks at genes that upregulate regeneration. So what does that mean? So aging is cellular degeneration over time. It's it's the simplest way to put it. There's nine hallmarks to aging. They range anywhere from telomere attrition, you know, the telomere is the capsule of your chromosomes getting shorter and shorter with each cellular mm-hmm. division, the mitochondrial dysfunction to cellular um, signaling and things like that. So, but essentially what it is, is a, a more and more dysfunctional cell over time. Now, with the gene therapy in cell culture and animal models, and in sometimes in some cases now, some of these are in humans, we're looking at upregulating human genes that make the cells not only act young but look young too and um, it's in its early uh, stages now we, we actually need to learn how to target the whole body but this is the promise of uh, of gene therapy so why would we look at regeneration are we just wanting to create youthful skin well no that it, it's not an aesthetics it's really a, more of a survival so When your cells are young, they clear damage and you don't accumulate uh, the problems that lead to things like cancer, which is genomic instability, or things like Alzheimer's, which is the inability to clear junk potentially from the brain, although it has a myriad of other mechanisms that are just not looked at as strongly as that. And so, if you, when we look at the drug industry, they look to create a drug to treat the symptoms of something like cancer or cardiovascular disease or Alzheimer's. But the truth is we can actually create a drug that just targets aging. All those those conditions are cancer, heart disease, kidney failure, um, you know, go all the way down the list. Type 2 diabetes is the effects of an aging cell. So they're not, they are, they're considered diseases, but they all stem from biological aging. So if you treat biological aging we get the biggest bang for the buck. And, and one way really quick to um, explain what this means is because everyone's like, well, we want to cure for cancer. And wouldn't just curing cancer be easier? It, it actually isn't. And um, if you just cured cancer for you and me, that means the life extension of about two years. That's it. Uh, Most people over 65 have two or more diseases of aging because it's accumulated damage. So most people will have heart disease and some variation of kidney failure and some form of dementia starting to rise. That's cognitive decline that we see over time. That's why people Hmm. who are 20 function better on tests.
1: So uh, since there's nine hallmarks of aging, um, drug companies so far, I mean, at best they would try to tackle one and use one small molecule to tackle one hallmark. Um, are you looking to tackle all nine, or are you looking to tackle one hallmark, but with a uh, stem cell type application or genetic modification application?
2: Yeah, so we, we will look to tackle all nine. Um, not one gene therapy is going to do that. So I think the future of treating biological aging will be a handful of genes. Uh, right now we're working with uh, BioViva is working with Rutgers University and we're looking at a viral vector uh, that could essentially Insert five to seven genes at one time. So we know it's going to be a multi combinatorial effect. So we're looking to five to seven genes, and then we'll be looking at things like exosomes uh, to upregulate uh, regeneration in patients. So if you think about this, if you could think about a gene therapy lasting anywhere from five to 20 years, you would come in and you would take an IV and you would have your uh, gene therapy dripped into you, in which you would just sit around for a few hours and you'd spend a couple days maybe on a, a immune suppressor, maybe making sure that you, you don't have a, a bad reaction. And then the course of you know your upkeep with your, your medical doctor would probably look at uh, two to four times a year uh, exosome treatments. And exosomes, what I mean is the little proteins, the delivery that stem cells would do to your system, like a stem cell treatment without the stem cells. So uh, it would just be, you would take a few injections and it would upregulate regeneration in your body and and keep your body in a a homeostasis. We cannot foresee the future, uh, but that's what it appears to look like because even the most promising genes that we're looking at right now uh, only tackle uh, four or five at most of the hallmarks of aging.
1: Are you thinking to add genes or are you thinking to look for damage and repair it to its previous state or, uh, you know, are you thinking to remove certain, I mean, I just wonder how you would add genes and what, you know, if we understand truly how aging occurs, do you think it's, it's because genes are being deleted or snipped out or just damaged or, you know, wouldn't we oh. want go to go in the opposite direction if the, if the method is uh, damage? Why not repair the damage versus trying to add genes? For
2: That's a really good question. Um, thank you for asking that because that that brings me back down to like some basic premises that the listener might not understand. So when we are looking at genes uh, that create regul upregulation, you're you're saying how could these be human genes and then unsubstantial? They're not. They're not working. So for instance, the the telomerase-inducing gene, the the gene that makes your telomeres long, is already in all of your cells, but it's turned off. Uh, for ev- In evolution, for some reason in humans, it turned off in all of our cells except for our germline cells. So it makes sure that your sperm and my eggs uh, create the, the most youthful, viable, protected um, offspring. And when people don't have that, um, their children are born with short telomeres and they have medical problems it's actually um, not good so our germline cells our, our sex line cells have telomerase turned on in them the rest of the body does not and we don't know why that turned off um, but we can guess that it literally is a roll of the dice and it's not it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the best outcome so some species who have telomerase uh, turned up regulated like lobsters live Almost indefinitely. Um, They either get too big and they get predated because they can't hide anymore, or they they get like little infections under their shells, you know, not related to telomerase. Nothing, we don't know a gene outside of genes that create antibodies against disease, which which is something we can talk about later if you want to. There are genes that you can upregulate that would protect you against Ebola, but those are not genes associated with long lives. Uh, they're associated just well. It could be it's definitely not dying of disease is great. So um, we're looking at genes that are not turned on or upregulating genes. So one thing that we can do um, that we're known for is increasing patients' muscle mass. So. Uh, we have a gene it's called fullostatin and it's delivered and it blocks something called myostatin which is a muscle regulator which becomes detrimental as you get older your your muscles waste if you block myostatin uh you actually have an increase in muscle mass and, and that is a that's a that's actually a gene therapy that's been through all the animal models and with a different company it's been through safety and efficacy for uh muscular dystrophy so it has a multitude of uses, and it and it definitely works. So we're looking at human genes that we either upregulate, we give you more of the protein that the gene uh, is naturally producing, or we turn on in your cells where it's been turned off. And how we do that, so it's not... This is not you know scary science, and this isn't you know the advancements in CRISPR. Everyone's heard of CRISPR, and that's gene editing. We don't do gene editing today because for decades, regular gene therapy that we use have, has been around, and it's always good to use technology that has been around because it's considered safer. What we do is we create a, a gene therapy for a patient, and it essentially is wrapped in a delivery method. And the delivery method can't get you sick. It's just a delivery method that targets cells and, and they're targeted towards certain cell types. So if we were going to give you a myostatin inhibitor, we have use a vector that actually is targeted towards muscle tissue because it will hook up with the muscle tissue and then it will deliver the human gene. And we don't integrate it into your chromosome. We create what's called an episome, meaning that it's a little string of DNA that just goes into the nucleus and it codes. For the protein that we're looking for. The one thing is, if your cells divide, it probably will not divide with it. But if we're targeting something like muscle cells, those cells um, tend to stay around for about 10 years. We can have a, a pretty good idea that you'll have this upregulated for a number of years. And so we're just upregulating a, a beneficial protein. So, you know, a lot of people, when they think of What's inside the nucleus? They they picture these X's, and those are all the chromosomes. And then picture right next to it a little snippet of your gene that's either lengthening your telomeres or um, or making your muscles stronger, or in the case of PLOTO, regenerating your kidneys.
1: It seems like if you would have a Pareto of uh, therapies, you know, because you can't just attack with nine therapies and use nine therapies right off the bat. There's, there's so much to be known, but if you were to pick which yeah. one to work on. Um, it seems more risky that if you picked one where, you know, our somatic cells have this, you know, telomerase maker turned off um, versus one where, you know, as we age, something's happening inside a, a, a given group of cells that is, you know, maybe it's an epigenetic change. Maybe something now is being turned off or downregulated and reversing that um, because it's, it, you know, just me, I mean, who knows, but doing something that fundamentally is one way throughout a person's lifetime to reverse aging versus something that, again, breaks or breaks down or gets downregulated or stops during their lifetime that you can turn back on seems a bit safer and less disruptive. <laughs> and what yeah, well, there?
2: well you know, I mean, that's a good question. So what BioViva does now is BioViva just does bioinformatics. We don't treat patients, but we have a, a partner company called Integrative Health Systems, and it actually does give a, patients access to medical doctors, who will do these therapies. And right now, we do look at these therapies independently for the most part. Uh, there are some dual gene therapies, but we're certainly not putting 9 and 10 uh, genes into humans. That's, that's something way down the road. That's when we know how each one of these therapeutics uh, affects the patient and what the outcome is. So. As far as epigenetics, generally with epigenetics, over time, you turn on more genes than not. And the the reason that we like telomerase is is multi-fold. One is it creates healthy cellular divisions. Number two, in animal models, it never increases the risk of cancer. And in cells, it creates genomic stability. So that epigenetic change over time that you see in an aging population is something that we would like to avoid uh we would we do not want random genes turning on and I'll tell you why this epigenetic system of, of genomic instability leads to cancer. So that's why we see cancer rates going up exponentially, especially after the age of eighty five. They're huge in the population at that point. So that sort of those sort of epigenetic changes is what we would like to stabilize. But then of course with gene therapies we would like to create the next level human that is, is more than just a, a genomic profile of a youthful human that already exists. We know that useful humans are accumulating damage. That's how, you know, you didn't get from 20 to 80 and all of those changes without without things happening. There's, there's damage that's occurring once you're born. Uh, there's telomere shortening is happening uh, whilst you're still in the womb due to cellular division. So we we need to create a, a substantially um uh, robust human that uh stays in homeostasis and certainly we're not going to do that by throwing nine genes at a person at one time it's it's really one gene at a time understanding the mechanisms and then moving on to to combinations
1: yeah i like what what you're saying about the uh, the myostatin inhibitor because you could take a population of cells not the whole body you can you know do some alteration there uh, there's really no reason, or hopefully, you know, it wouldn't spread to the rest of the body. Um, so any potential effects really would be limited to that population of cells. It just seems like a much smarter way to do it. So the, you know, it sounds like you're on the right track.
2: Yeah, the the myostatin inhibitor is, you know, it's it's pretty. It's I would say we'll understand it better in in ten years. Why I wouldn't talk aggressively against a multitude of genes in one human is because we know that not one of these gene therapies uh, will create the human body that we need. So, for instance, in animal studies, you know, telomerase induction in- increases lifespan by about 24%, and that- that's really fantastic. Uh, we know that the myostatin inhibitor uh, does just about as well. I think it might even do better than by a little bit. It increases lifespan. It, it appears that increased muscle mass is associated with increased lifespan. Uh, PLOSO in animal models uh, extended animal lifespan by about thirty percent, and they were more they were more intelligent and um, suffered less from things like kidney failure. So, you know, I guess you're, the question you're posing is combining that with that create a better situation, a, a better outcome or or not, well, that's something that we'll find out down the road. Now, I know that if I took a myostatin inhibitor, which I did, um, I wouldn't be personally, I wouldn't say, well, that's the only therapy I'll take in my life, because even though it might extend my lifespan and extend my ability for uh, higher performance right now, Certainly, it's not going to extend it as long as I would would hope. So, for I would like a, a more unlimited future for humans. I mean, we're not we're not really as a company trying to break lifespan as much as we're trying to create health span. But I don't want to just be healthy for for four five extra years. I want to I want to be healthy for ten fifteen twenty or uh, an unlimited amount of years. And and so we're going to have to be pretty aggressive about this. So. The idea of trying a multitude of genes over time and succinctly working this out that we can do it as quickly as possible while still gleaning um, information and understanding what we're doing is going to be really
1: important. Yeah, I'm thinking about the psychology of, you know, I think people see, tend to treat themselves like a car. You know, my, my muffler is, is broken. Let me get a new one. Or my engine needs to be fixed. You know, my heart is this. My My liver is that. I don't really hear very often that someone says... I just want to upgrade everything and fix everything and make myself young. It, it, it seems like that is a wish, but the, it's, the reality seems to be that, again, people just think, oh, this is broken. Let me just get it fixed if I can. And then I <laughs> continue on.
2: Yeah. And, and with today's medicine, uh, the mainstream medicine, that most of the things that you'll get for your doctor, that you'll say, oh, my kidneys have a problem. And they'll give you something that will maybe slow the process, but it will hurt you somewhere else. And uh, statins are one of those drugs that we look at where, as far as stroke, they help one in 164 people, but as far as ca- causing type 2 diabetes, metabolic disorder, they they actually negatively affect one in four people, and one in 10 people will get dementia from the drugs. So we can't... Just trying to fix one area of the body is, is probably a bad idea. And you know, there's a, there's a great graph that shows where technology is and where human understanding is, and, and that is my job. Technology always lays way above where we're at, and public understanding lays well below that, and it's, it's just steeped in myths, you know, like, you know, thinking that, you know, gene therapy might not be a natural process. actually. Gene therapy is such a natural process that I can almost guarantee that you got one this year. If you got a virus, you got a, a gene therapy. So we're just <laughs> we're just harnessing the the power of uh things that already happened to us. And so you can see when people lived and how long they lived based on the, the viruses they integrated over their lifespan. So gene therapy is a totally natural process happening to you but we are just saying let's let's actually design it uh, for the benefit of humans. And, and it has historically had benefits. So now it's believed that our ability to be cognitive actually came from a virus that we got a long time ago, and it actually helps us with memories and uh, thinking forward. Uh, it's the, the ability to carry babies to term uh, is thanks to a virus that we integrated a long time ago, and then it protected uh, the fetus from from various attacks that used to be more common on the pregnancy. You know, and, and the list goes on and on. So there are actually benefits to the uh, viruses that we see every day. But self-evolution uh, and in, in creating uh, the genetic backdrop of, of what we need is is it's just really an intelligent thing to do. And when people start to learn about it, at first they seem kind of resistant. And their resistance are usually in the most absurd areas they're like oh my god but what if everybody lived young forever can we actually support this you know and it's like that's that's actually a really good problem to have and we're a long ways from actually solving that problem regardless of what you read in the newspapers because everything is fantastical so if we don't and <laughs> we're nervous about how we're going to deal with a bunch of young viable people on the planet which actually as other technology moves forward doesn't seem that it will be a problem at all um you know, we're we're already stopping ourselves with, with dumb questions that I mean, they're not dumb questions, they're questions that need to be answered, but people will work on those. And we're we're stopping ourselves from actually progressing and getting something done. And then those people, even though they feel like technology will happen in their lifetime, what they will see is they it will not happen in their lifetime because of their mindset and the mindset that they propagated. Uh so there's you know, the the people that come to our company and our partner company are people so don't believe in those myths um, they want the one to ten to twenty percent advantage over other people and um, and they're going to get it uh, it, is, it is their genetic future and they don't live by the myths that hold them back that uh, the rest of the population lives by and so you know my job is to try to elevate everyone to understand the benefits here and the potential do you want to take an infusion of a gene therapy for uh, a gene that actually uh, that when when certain bits of the population, small bits of the population have this gene, don't get cardiovascular disease? Or do you want open heart surgery in your 50s or your 60s when your body has an incredibly hard time healing? Most people would opt for the gene therapy. And it it will become so ubiquitous and commonplace that we won't even consider it to be odd. But you have to get people over their myths to help them understand that. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. Um, I, I think you said earlier that you actually Tried the myostatin inhibitor?
2: Yeah. So I did both the telomerase inducer and the myostatin inhibitor. Oh. And I'm actually, so it's been almost four years and uh, I am uh, preparing another gene therapy. So I will be looking to take another gene therapy, hopefully by the end of this year.
1: Well, what was your experience when you, when you had them done? What have you noticed? Do you feel any difference? Yeah. Or?
2: So what we did is we did we ran a bunch of tests and we saw increased muscle mass and decreased white fat, which we would expect from increasing your muscles. That also reduced my blood glucose uh, levels by about 25%. So you increase muscle mass and you increase insulin sensitivity. So we're excited about increasing muscle mass because it keeps people active longer. It could hold off uh, metabolic disorder like type 2 diabetes. Um, really beneficial again animals with that gene therapy lived longer Um, so there's a myriad of benefits there so we did see changes there I want to see bigger changes so we're actually we work on a a different construct than the one that we uh, originally used I'd like to see a world where we can take obese people and make them fit uh, and then when they're fit when they have less fat on their body and it's safe to, they can start exercising again, you know, I mean, you have to move in order to build your muscles, even if you have a gene therapy. But I would like to see where we can safely get these people into the zone of exercise without putting them at risk of, you know, cardiac failure or something. And um, the other one was a telomerase inducer. And what we saw with it, we Since I did both gene therapies at the same time, there's some confounding in the the outcomes. But from what the the gene therapy does in cells and in animals, we're attributing these benefits to it. So we saw a 50% reduction in triglycerides, which should mean uh, better heart health. We saw my lengthening of telomeres in my white blood cells. So those are the only ones that they measure. And they lengthened by about 30 years um, over the last three years. Um, they were critically short. Actually, my my family is not long lived, uh, so it was not unexpected that in my 40s, my early 40s or mid 40s when I took the gene therapy, they actually measured in at the average length of a 65 year old already. Um, the second. The second test, about a year after the therapy, showed that they were about my actual age, which was around 45, and the third test put them in my late 30s, and now I'm in my late 40s. I'm, I'm 48. So That was really great, but that's only my white blood cell. So I'm not going to pretend that right now with this technology, we can target every cell in the body. We're working on that. And that seems to be the next big step. But, uh, yeah, we were really excited about that. What else did we see? I, I know that there were other changes, but I'm literally trying to think of these off of the top of my head. Um, so the triglyceride levels, the blood glucose levels, the C oh uh, my C-reactive proteins, which is a sign of inflammation, they dropped about sixfold, and they were in a natural range oh. to begin with. Now I need to get them taken again, you know, to see if the the therapy has uh, worn off. I I definitely don't think that we entirely cured aging. I know we didn't actually. I'm still aging, but hopefully I'm aging at a slower rate. And um, and with the next bout of therapies, we'll do more damage to aging and reverse more of the biological effects. That's our hope.
1: So did you have to uh, go offshore to get these therapies done? Or were you able to do it because it's an end of one? It's just you and you were able to make that choice?
2: Well, I I did go offshore through our our partner, Integrative Health Systems, patients would see, they can see doctors in the U.S. if they want, but they do go overseas uh, to take the therapies. They go to South or Central America, depending on the clinic that the the specific doctor works in. We have six six doctors right now. They can choose their location. They can choose their doctor. Most of them use our U.S. doctors and um, they uh, travel with them and they take the therapy and... um, and, you know, they, they really like the experience there. So, you know, as far as efficacy, it will take us years to fully understand what the therapies are doing. But so far, they appear to be safe, meaning that our patients haven't been harmed by the treatment. And now we're, we're looking for the myriad of benefits that we see both in animal models and in cell um, culture in, in these patients. And of course, we're looking for outcomes that in the myostatin inhibitor we see in patients with muscular dystrophy, you know, the increase in muscle mass. So they they do them for because they want to pioneer technology because they want an advantage, and they also do it as an experience. And so it's kind of it's it's very cool. They, they're the neatest people um, you would ever meet. Okay. They they want to create a better world for humanity. You know they want to participate uh, in the the experiment of creating a better world rather than continuing to be part of the medical medical care experiment that we know exactly how it ends.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, very good. We're close to being out of time. What's What's the best way for people to find out more about BioViv and, uh, you know, maybe to get in contact with questions or follow ups? What's sure. the best way for them to go from here?
2: Sure. So with BioViva, you can come to our website. It's bioviva-science.com. We have some testing there. We're we're going to be launching our bioinformatics uh, repository uh, towards the end of the year. It's a place that you can come and store all your multi-omic data and help cure aging at the same time, uh, which is really awesome. We're hoping to get out a multi-omic kit soon, which is great. And then if you can go through from bioviva to integrated-health-systems.com and uh there is that's our partner company who uh brokers therapeutics you can you can pay to meet with a doctor and talk about uh potential therapies that you may or may not want to do and uh get an invoice and, and see um, how much that costs and, and whether you want to participate in that and so um, it's actually quite revolutionary.
1: Very good, well Liz, thanks for coming on the podcast and um, you know, I mean, looking forward to seeing what BioViva will come up with. There's a lot of work to do, but uh, you know, you're on a
0: good track, so thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials. Or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career. Or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.